Welcome into Dose of OJ. We just want to thank you for checking out our podcast. We also want to let you know that the contents of this episode may include some strong language, so it's probably not the best podcast for you to blare at your workplace. However, you should definitely show your friends and maybe even your boss. Definitely show your boss. Who knows? You might get a raise. Enjoy the episode. What's going on, everybody? Welcome into episode 45. That's one, two, three, four, fifth of Dose of OJ. Oh, and what's going on, dude? You good? Yeah, it's 9.30 over here on the East Coast, 8.30 where you guys are. So, uh, East Coast, you know, East I'm, Coast. yeah, see, I'm going to bed after this. That's that's the difference between me and you. So, I don't know. Maybe we can settle that whole time zone argument. Well, we got Mr. Joe Kilgallen here on uh, yeah. Dose of OJ today. But, yeah, I'm doing great, man. Yeah, for sure. Uh, as you mentioned, Joe Kilgallen, professional funny guy. Is that offensive, professional funny mm-hmm. guy? No, I don't care. <laughs> okay, because I, you know, it's like, uh, excuse me, Pinky's up. I'm a comedian, and you're like, mm, okay. You know, uh, you guys are baseball fans, so you probably heard this one before. The way John Crux says, "I'm not an athlete. I'm a baseball player." I say, "I'm not an artist. I'm a comedian." <laughs> I just I, look, oh, man, man. I, I just I'm full disclosure, and everybody listening, we were actually talking about, um, we were sort of teasing this interview because Owen was super excited to have you on and and to pick your brain. Right. Because for, for the longest time, I mean, hand up, dude, we were shooting, no disrespect to you, but we were shooting for the, for the moon. Like we were like, Tom Segura, will you come on, will you come on our <laughs> podcast? Like Bert Kreischer, where are you? Why aren't you, aren't you in our zoom call? And then he's like, Joe Kilgallen's hilarious. And I'm like, all right, I think I can get that. I think you can get it done. <laughs> no, thanks. And by the way, no offense taken. Those two guys are, uh, yeah, they're, the, you know. You guys are trying to get Mike Trout in uh, Juan Soto. I understand, you know. <laughs> yeah. Look, look. If, if if you're not shooting blanks, that means you're not trying, right? I, I mean, I guess that makes sense in some capacity. Yeah, absolutely. Of course, shoot your shot, right? Uh, exactly. Uh, well, Joe. I mean, thanks for taking the time. I know that um, you know, when when somebody's like, oh yeah, Joe, he's a comedian. It's like, well, you're a dad first. And... Yeah, I like the joke saying I'm a stay-at-home dad during the day, comedian at night, which is a jackpot of a combination really you know i got two sons who are both crazy fun and then i tell that uh, dick jokes at night so it's a yeah. sweet setup <laughs> well okay i guess that that's a perfect seg- segue into the first question i asked you know th- joe i <laughs> i heard something i think i can't forget if remember if it was on your podcast if it was on one of the youtube clips because i watched a lot of your specials some of the clips and you know everything here and there trying to kind of get an idea of you as a person and I don't know why this stuck out to me more than any, because I have a, a two and a half year old daughter. Um, did you actually not cry when your kids were born? Because whichever answer you have for this, I have a response. Okay. I did not. I did not cry when they were born. Um, I was overwhelmed with joy, of course. Greatest moments of my life. Right, right. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, with my son Dylan, it was C-section and I was, I was, you know, I'm so overprotective. So my whole mm-hmm. thing was make them happy, make them healthy. You know, like, and these nurses are just so, and doctors, th- these babies are three minutes old and they're like, oh, here's your baby. And then they toss it off to another person and they're doing like, you know, 42 trap pitch to the left. I'm like, Hey, that's a tiny baby. It's brand new. Let's, let's sick ball security. You know what I mean? Let's hold on to that thing. <laughs> right. And so I, yeah, tears weren't going through, but I have become a softer person, um, which I, is funny because a lot of my friends are like, don't go getting soft on us. And I'm like, if anyone needed to get soft, it was me. I'm kind of a psycho. So I'm, I'm cool with chilling out. I find myself crying at movies. I never cried at movies ever before having kids. Since my kids were born, I've cried at like eight movies. And 
six of them are Pixar, you know? Yeah, I, I, I caught myself crying <laughs> yeah. at an animated movie like maybe six hours before we recorded this too. I don't know what it was about the song that climaxed at the end. Of the, I don't even remember the name of it, man. It was just another animated movie with forest animals, right? There's a million of those. You can't really decipher between them sometimes. Um, but they, it had tears in my eyes towards the end, right? I don't, I don't really know what it was. But uh, I thought I was kind of psychotic for, for being that guy that didn't cry um when it, when i held collins that's my daughter's name for the first time right and it, it honestly it kind of gave me some comfort to know i wasn't the only one because everything i heard from every single person leading up to that point was man it was just the most overwhelming thing like i bawled my eyes out you know these big old southern dudes here in south carolina that claim they never cried a day in their life right so i didn't know if i was psychotic or not and it's nice to hear that i'm not no you're not you're not i mean there's just other worries i feel like that go through your mind um yeah, you know, if I win a championship, I'm probably not going to cry in the trophy. I think I'm that type of guy, but it was definitely amazing. So since having having kids, like, have you noticed a change in, like, the material that you use or, like, the maybe the way you structure jokes? Like, has your brain changed, like, creatively? Uh, I mean, I'm more patient now that I have kids, so maybe that's uh, shown up in my performance a little bit. I'm kind of always been naturally a fast talker. So, you know, I've caught myself like, you know, let the joke settle in a little bit more, take your time um, and, you know, kind of just explore the comedy that way. Instead of just being so rapid fire, I kind of always admired this style of comedian where they kind of put your their foot on your throat and leave it there for 45 minutes and just bang, bang, bang. And um, so now I kind of take my time a little bit more. And as far as like the subject matter go, yeah, I talk about being a dad and I never wanted to be that. I remember, you know, being a comedian in my 20s being like, oh, man, there's so many comedians talk about families and stuff but then of course you see things differently and you're like oh there's not comedians who are doing it this way you know I, I notice a lot of comedians that have kids they do jokes where they dump all over their kids they talk about what idiots their kids are and how they wish they didn't have them and Crusher. all this kind of stuff <laughs> yeah that's a great example uh great comic though but i mean even louis ck before everything happened with him he would talk right. about how stupid his kids were and then i'm like you know what if i ever if i do have kids i don't want to talk about how dumb they are that just doesn't make sense to me and uh and i have no reason to my kids are, are both great you know what i mean they're they're kids so obviously there's stuff they do that annoy me but i've never found found the need to get laughs that way um not that you know if it's funny it's funny i don't give a shit what you say as long as it's funny right that's right. pretty much my rule um but yeah my thing is like if you're a those comedians who are always talking about hating their kids i'm like i think it's you i think there's something wrong with you <laughs> your kids are probably great you're an asshole um and that's probably the problem we're having you know what I mean? Right. Right. So <laughs> here's a here's another good one for you, kind of leading off of what you just said there about, you know, if 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 it's funny, I don't give a shit what you think. Like if it's funny, it's funny. Does that same rule apply to uh to your wife when she listens to your jokes? Has there ever been one that she came across where she was just like, Joe, <laughs> Joe, come on. No, um, you know what she did that was interesting. So I think it's like my most popular joke on YouTube. It's called oral sex. It's got like 500,000 views or something like that. I've seen that one. The jokes made me a nice bit of money. But um, <laughs> when I first, would, you know, she wanted me to make that joke vague because she didn't want people to be like, like if she was at the show, because she used to come to shows with her friends and any jokes I did sex related, her friends would look at her being like Nicole, you know, um, <laughs> which isn't my wife's name anyway. I just made that name up. Um, <laughs> and so I, I'd make them more vague. Uh, that way it could be about any girl. Um, and it could be, some of them might be, you know? So 
that's her only thing she's ever said. And as far as like, no, I, I don't really hold back because she knows who she married. You know, I, I have a joke that uh, went viral on the Laugh Factory, went viral on Instagram, went viral on the Laugh Factory Instagram page, which they have like a million followers. And yeah. 95% of the people loved it. But the 5% who didn't, of course, were making the most comments and they're calling me a misogynist and all this stuff. And I'm like, what? Because the joke's about my wife being a nurse and her nurses are heroes. Mm-hmm. But, you know, a real hero would, you know, suck her husband's dick a little bit more. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> this is a clean show, right? I can yeah, to say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. With, Josh, Josh made an explicit warning for the beginning of the episode and everything. <laughs> smart, yeah. smart man, Josh. Yeah. Thanks, so, man. you know, most she thinks that's funny, like because it's obviously a joke. It's said very tongue in cheek. Most human beings got what I was doing there. But some people were like, your wife is a nurse during a pandemic. How dare oh, you demand sex? I'm like, first of all, I'm not demand. It's a joke, you idiot. And they right. go after you hard. And I was about to go after them. Like, because normally you're not supposed to respond to the negative comments. But this one was bad. Mm-hmm. The woman said, like, I hope she takes the kids and leaves you. And I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm going to tear you apart, too. You're gonna come <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. She yeah. deserved you coming after her for that. I mean, but I feel like at the same time. It, no matter what joke you make, no matter how much you think about it beforehand, there's always going to be that five percenter crowd, right? Have you you experienced that? I'm sure. Yeah, and you've had you have to learn as a comedian not to uh, get upset when you don't please everybody, because I've found that comedians that aim to please everybody usually suck. You you got to have something. I mean, not purposely, but there's always going to be something you say that's going to make someone shake their head or disapprove or whatever. And, and you know what, too bad, right? Like that's, and I've had people every now and then be like, you know, I don't really like that joke. I go, all right, well, it's not for you. That's cool. You know what I mean? I've got bands I love and I hate a, I hate a song or two, you know? So you enjoyed 80% of it. Great. That's all I could ask for. What do you want me to do about, it? you know, I think they always look for like, are you going to apologize? I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm not <laughs> you know, unless not. I misspeak or something like that. I would I would never apologize over a joke, you know? Quick interruption to make sure that you're subscribed to the podcast. And if you are, thank you so much. Think of one person that hasn't heard this show yet that you think would enjoy it. Share it with them. Here's the rest of the episode. Uh, yeah, I, I, there, I have two things. One, I do want to talk about the Laugh Factory a little bit because I think when they started posting all their content on social media, they... they you know, people outside of California were like, oh my God, Laugh Factory. Like, there's some pretty funny people that perform here. For you, when you when you first stepped in there and they were like, stage is yours, like, go for it. How, what did that feel like? Because I, there's so many stories about, you know, comedians early days and they're like, yeah, I did 75 open mics and I got seven claps collectively and, you know, four people laughed and I got booted 45 times. And then all of a sudden, you know, something sticks, one of their sets stick and they end up on, on laugh factory with all the work put in. What was that like for you? Getting past at laugh factory was pretty huge. Um, you know, there's a laugh factory in Chicago and I was, I became a regular there. And then when I was living in LA, the laugh factory in Hollywood's that's, you know, huge, you know, they used to have a TV show like in the late eighties, early nineties. I remember seeing when I was like five, six years old and you know, that Marquis famous and just you know, sits on the sunset strip. Like it doesn't get like bigger than that. Like, you know, Richard Pryor was the first comedian ever performed there. It's a fun little comedy history for you guys. Uh, Jamie Masada opened the club the very first night he had Richard Pryor. He like begged Richard Pryor to do it. And Richard Pryor was like, cool, sure. And like, nobody came. 
But, but wow. Jamie Masada agreed to give him this much money. And Richard Pryor was like, keep the money. And then Richard Pryor gave him more money. So like, that's how cool Richard Pryor was. And yeah, so I was, it's kind of interesting how I first got on the stage there and the, and they have a clip of it. The clip actually has got like a few hundred thousand views. I'm wearing a Murphy's bleachers, like hoodie that I got for free. Cause a friend had worked at Murphy's, you know, behind Wrigley field. Mm-hmm. And I was wearing like, and I only threw that on cause it was in my car and I knew I was about to go on and I was wearing like, I wasn't dressed to perform cause I didn't go there to perform. I went right. there with another comedian cause a couple of friends, we knew a couple of the comics were on the lineup that night. Eric Griffin, who was on uh, Workaholics, and then there was another comedian I can't remember now. But anyway, um, those a couple of comedians were at the Clippers game. And the Clippers game went into overtime. I think like Andrew Santino and someone else was at the Clippers game, and it was go- going into overtime. And I actually knew the other comic, comic, Chris Bader. And so they knew we were comedians. And we only went there to maybe see the owner and to try to like be like, hey, what's up? We met way back when, new in town, just want to know the process. How do we get our foot in the door? And uh, he wasn't even there. So it's like, what a waste of a a night. You know, we came to see the owner. He's not even here. So how are we going to get booked at this club? So they knew they were comedians. Clippers games in overtime. They're running late. They say to us, hey, we need someone to fill time while they're in traffic from the Clippers game. Do you want to go up? And we're thinking, hell yeah. Me and comedian Aaron Weaver. Aaron goes up first because they knew him uh, more than they knew me. And he's doing all right. You know, Aaron, I'm sure wouldn't mind me saying this. He's fine. And he starts to go a little over his time and they're like, they give you a light. So everyone wondering a little show business thing here. That's how comedians know to get off the stage. There's a light usually in the back of the room that they kind of flash at you that tells you to wrap it up. Usually gotcha. two minutes. Hey, you got two more minutes and then and figure it out. And uh, so he's going long and I'm like, Jesus Christ, they're going to show up and they're going to tell me, forget it. You can't go up because obviously the paid regulars, the guys who we booked are here. So I texted the one dude because I knew he was with him. I go, hey, you're coming with uh, Eric or Andrew Santino from the Clippers game, right? And he's like, yeah. I go, wait outside. Take longer. Be later. And, and I told him the deal. And he's like, yeah, no problem. Man. We just pulled up. We'll just chill in the car. I'm like, thank you. They put me up. I do like 10 minutes. And dude, I killed. I was on fire. Now, I mentioned what I was wearing because they shared the clip and everyone was commenting in YouTube. This dude's hilarious, but why the fuck does he dress like that? Isn't this in Hollywood? Why is he wearing layers? It was the one weekend or week it rained in LA. I lived in LA for like three and a half years. The one week it rained is why I was I had the long sleeves and then the hoodie on top of that's the when sleeves. you go viral, of course, right? Yeah. I mean, I wore the hoodie on top of it because otherwise I would look like a out of work soccer coach because I was wearing like this Adidas like half zip or quarter zip, whatever they call. Cause again, I wasn't showing up to perform. I was just showing up. Right. Right. And, uh, and then I hit up the, the, the general manager the next day going, I don't know if you heard, I ended up doing some time last night, just on accident, but you know, I'd love to work the club. It went really well. And she got back to me going, no, we heard we've all, everyone in the office said you killed it. And you know, Jamie Masada, who's the owner, he wants to see you as well. And then a couple days later I went up so he could watch me to get the official word. And thankfully I killed and then um, after that, I got, I was working fairly regularly there. They have two clubs in they have the Hollywood one and the Long Beach one. And um, it's pretty surreal. Like, you know, I was, I was doing the Long Beach one with Tiffany Haddish like every week. And now she's one of the biggest female movie stars. And wow. you know, I was going up after D'Elia, do the, I'd open the midnight show. He was closing the 10 and yeah. So it was, it was pretty cool to know that like, yeah, I could share the same stage with the biggest comedians in the world, hold my own. And on some nights do better than them actually. It wasn't that all that uncommon. That's the thing I wish more people knew. There are so many great comedians that people have never heard of because like who decides who gets a Netflix special, you know, who decides who gets these things. There's so much of it. That's politics and what, you know, and and, or not what, but who, you know, which is like this in a lot of industries, you know, Mm -hmm. and music. I know 
so many bands that don't get radio play for whatever stupid ass reason. And um, it's kind of like that with comedy too. Do you think uh, um, that social media has helped that fact, like being able for smaller comedians to get noticed like yourself? Like I know you have a TikTok channel and, and YouTube has helped you get views and stuff that maybe you otherwise wouldn't. Do you think that has been helpful to smaller comedians? Like you just mentioned that may not get that kind of airtime or has it been hurtful in any kind of way? It's well, it depends how people use it. I think it's overall been very, very helpful. No, here's the thing though. The, at the end of the day, all these networks and comedy clubs and whoever platforms, they just want eyeballs. So can you bring us eyeballs? So because of that, every now and then there are people who are great at social media. They, they know how to run a Twitter account. They know how to run a YouTube and all that kind of stuff. And you know, people go, all right, well, let's give them a special because they have a million Twitter followers. If half of those people watch the special, then we would have made way our money back. And then, then some, you know, um, there was this, this person, I feel bad even shitting on her because I've heard nothing but good things about her, but she was doing like lip sync stuff on TikTok, uh, like, like Trump stuff like that, right? And yeah. she's a really good writer, so I'm not knocking her. She's had a career before this, but these clips went super viral. So Netflix gave her a big deal and someone else gave her a deal and she was getting all this money thrown at her. The special came out and nobody liked it, you know? So I don't. it helped her bank account, but in the long term, it kind of, you know, sometimes when there's a bad comedy special, I feel like some people get a little bit like, eh, I don't know how good comedy is these days. Or it's like, no, comedy's good. You just saw some bad comedy. Um, but I do think, sorry, it's a little bit of a long-winded answer I'm giving here, but I do think overall oh, no, it has no. helped because I've got plenty of people on YouTube and TikTok um, who have said to me, hey, I've never heard of you, but I love your stuff. And, and you know, I've got a lot of cool direct messages. And I, I, I got people listening to my comedy in India, which is crazy to me, you know? So I think it's been great for that because... You know how people like to shit on Instagram models? Uh-huh. To me, they're the they're the real deal. They're the real models because America and the world decided they're hot. Someone comes across someone on Instagram who's just hot and it's like, you're sexy. I'm gonna like this photo. I'm gonna follow you. That's that's more organic. Where the regular models who are all six feet tall, weigh 86 pounds, are anorexic, they've got no ass. Who decided they were the hottest women in the world? Right. Some jerk offs in some Manhattan office or in Miami, they own some agency and they've like they own the runways and all that. Like, who are they to decide? Instagram models, the world decided, oh, you're gorgeous. I'm going to follow you. So I think that's that's where social media is kind of cool. You know, you got like Andrew Schultz blew up off of it. Uh, he was kind of doing well before that. Though. Every now and then people act like he came out of nowhere. I'm like, he co-hosted a podcast with Charlamagne the God who had like you know, book and 2 million followers. So it's not like he was completely yeah. unknown. Um, and I've done shows. I've done a couple shows with Schultz. So it's not like I, I like the guys that he's a nice dude and he's been good, really good for comedy. But like, again, that's how you could kind of say, fuck you to the industry. I'm going to do my own shit, which I know is funny. I'm going to put it online and I'm going to let America slash the world decide what's good because there are plenty of late night Conan sets or Jimmy Fallon sets or even Netflix specials that they put out there and the industry is like, oh, look, they got a Netflix. Aren't they amazing? And America and the world goes, this sucks ass. I watched eight minutes of it before I turned it off. You guys ever see Lana Glazer's on um, Broad City? She's hilarious on Broad City. She had a stand-up special on Amazon Prime that they were running commercials for left and right. It's the biggest piece of shit thing you've ever seen <laughs> in your life. It's fucking terrible. And I would say that right to her face. I'd be like, hey, look, you're a great actress. You're funny on that show. But this is not stand-up. And what fucking made you think you could do that? Oh, I know. You got all these yes people around you fucking kissing your tits, telling you you're amazing. And nobody actually told you, eh, these jokes suck. Maybe stick to this. 
Um, so yeah, yeah. Overall, long, long answer short. Yes, social media has been good for stamp comedy. I, I think you bring up a good point though, because one, like the whole direct to consumer aspect of it, right? Like you don't have a big board of executives going, okay, we he he sucks. We're not going to use him. We don't like the way his left eyebrow tilts up to the right a little bit. We're going to use that guy who's much more aesthetically pleasing in his materials. It's a, it's par, but he looks better. So people are going to watch him. I, so I, I completely agree that, you know, it, we've seen it all the time, like with podcasts and with, I mean, fucked it with everything, just photographers. It's like, if, if there wasn't social media, they wouldn't be discovered. They would have to go through like these political avenues with these large firms and who knows if it works out. So I, I completely agree. But, but Josh, I want to play devil's advocate uh, here too. Also because it is birthed some very, very, very undeserving social media stars, like a bad baby. I mean, come on. She got, she went viral on Dr. Phil once and now she's richer than 99% of the population. Like there's been so many countless yeah, but cases I think, of people I think like to that. that point though. I think to your point though, like what, what, what Joe was talking about is, is people decided like she is a good point too that was her like that was her like who is this girl and now she's making hip-hop music and people are still listening like that that that's the thing that's what i love about social media like if you're if your stuff sucks it's gonna die off like that's people true are gonna, people are gonna stop liking your stuff yeah um, I, I i think to go back to what you're saying josh it is like who decides and that's why even when the decision's bad at least it was like the people like overall. I mean, obviously there's some people who know how to like trick the algorithm to get their stuff seen and all that. Yeah. There's people like that who are just good at social media, but the content might not be good, but for the most part, it's the people deciding like, you know, you guys are baseball fans. I take it um, like John boy media. He was just a dude that was a huge baseball fan that decided to put out a shitload of baseball content every day. And everyone knows him now because he's got a huge platform and he's and it's become famous. Like if you're a baseball fan, you've crossed paths with his content. But, you know, he literally had a plan. He quit his job and he decided I'm going to post something every single day and just keep putting out content and just be relentless at this. And hopefully people will like my stuff because that's the thing. You could put out content every day and nobody could give a shit. I know I know a few people who do that. I admire the yeah. work ethic. They're putting stuff out every single day for like almost years now, and nothing's really clicked, but at least they're giving it a go. I mean, it still has to be good. You can't just put it out every day and it sucks because people are going to let you know. So for that regard, I mean, that's where podcasts are cool too. How many people have famous podcasts and they weren't famous before their podcast that people decided, oh, I like this guy. Where maybe if they would have gone like, I went to Illinois Broadcasting School. I was an intern at this sports station. I did this, this, this. And then by the time I was 47, they finally let me do weekends. Now there's people who are like, screw that. I got a microphone at home. I've got the internet and I'm going to just go for it. And so that part of it, I really do respect. See, that's so interesting though, because I, I've, I've sort of had this argument. I used to have this argument with myself when I was in college. And then I would say even as late as a couple of years ago, I really realized this that in the age of social media and, and sticking with that, with that realm is like, I feel like there's a lot of people and I was this way. There's a lot of people that think if I'm not absolutely blowing up and if I don't hit 500,000 followers and I'm not hitting, you know, 400,000 views each video or each post or whatever it is, I'm not successful. And if you talk to like people in the quote unquote business world, it's all about like market share. 
And, and I think of that as like, okay, so wait a second, you can still be a successful comedian. You could still be a successful podcaster or whatever the case is and not be at the top of the list. Like, I don't think people realize how unbelievably difficult it is or how much of a, of an advantage it is to take, take advantage of the chances that you get to be at the top of the list. Like these people, a lot of these people aren't overnight successes. Like Tom Segura just released two bears, one cave today. And he was talking about, he's like, I don't think people realize how long I was broke. Like I was so broke for so long. I haven't been successful financially for that long, but people look at me like I've been rich forever. Yeah. I like Tom a lot. He always says good stuff. So does Bert. Um, you know, it's, it's, there's no real middle class in this game, I guess. You know what I mean? It's kind of like, I'm as close to like a middle class as you could be for a comedian. Um, you know, if, before I was married, I was making enough for rent. I had a roommate, of course, though. And I, you know, I'd be able to, I had enough for, I'm like, Hey, I'll, I'll get the next round. You know, I was do, I was comfortable and I was happy and all that kind of right. stuff. I didn't have health insurance though. So like, you know, I wasn't in like the best spot, but I, I was having a blast, you know, so and you didn't have health insurance. So you weren't balling, balling, but you were doing it. Right. Yeah, I was doing fine. You know what I mean? I was, I wasn't late on any bills or anything like that. And you know, things were great. I could go on an odd vacation here or there. Uh, luckily, I was smart enough to marry a nurse. So health insurance, cha-ching, right? And yeah, right. a little stability. Someone had to have it out of the two of us. <laughs> it's interesting, though, because when you talk about success, I learned this the hard way because I kind of was one of those people, too, where it's like, if I don't, if I'm not here by this age or if I'm not doing this after X amount of whatever, blah, blah, blah. None of that matters. There's so many different paths and stuff like that. I was watching an episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm the other day, and I'm thinking, how old is Larry now? And then I started reading Larry David's Wikipedia. Larry David was 42 years old when the first episode of Seinfeld aired. So when he co-created what would become the biggest sitcom of all time, he was 42. And think about how many people would have quit before they got to that age. Because nobody knew who the hell he was before that. You know, he had, he was broke as hell. He was a limo driver. He would work all these weird odd jobs just to make ends meet. And but, you know, he said, this is better than, you know, working for the post office. So I might as well keep doing this, even though I'm struggling. So, again, for any weird wisdom type advice I might give to people, try to enjoy the ride. And I, I preach that about sports, too. You know, when I was doing uh, Cubbies on Tap, which I love those guys. And I love everyone at the Untap Network. And when uh, doing Lockdown Cubs now, I try to remind fans. And as fans, you know, we get frustrated, sports fans, of course try to remind them you got to enjoy the season because when it's winter and it's cold and it sucks, you're going to be like, man, I wish it was August again. And we were two games back. Like we were wherever the heck it was. Same with comedy. I had a friend who got an HBO special. I saw him two months later. He was just as miserable. I'm like, you're still miserable though. Always, huh? Like nothing. Cause everyone gets this thing in their mind where they're like, if I could just get to this level and then get, then guess what happens? They get to that level and they're like, all right, now if I could just get here, it's, they're always, thinking about their next step instead of enjoying the process. If you enjoy the process, no matter what you do, you won. I really do believe that. I know it might sound like some, you know, like fucking spiritual shit or something, but I, uh, I really, see, I, I, I understand, you know, try not to sound like you're preaching to the choir, but man, I'm, I'm there with you. Um, just the, the ride that me and Josh have been on just here with dose of OJ. And I've, I've heard countless people say that same thing, you know, people that are at the top of their game, athletes, you know, comedians, actors alike, all musicians all saying, you know, yeah, it's great right now. I'm putting out music. But, you know, I, th I think it was J. Cole that said, you know, he just put out a new album 
couple weeks ago, right? And he was talking about, I got to a point where a lot of your favorite rappers do that, you know, the fruits of your labor have come in, right? You know, you're comfortable. You don't have that same kind of hunger that you used to. And you can, you can sit and you don't have to make music and you're going to be all right. And sometimes you forget that the climb to where you are at was the best part about what you're doing. And yeah. I, I think that really is true. Something I, I try to remember. And um, because that's, there's a reason a, a lot of famous people um, ha, have gone on too soon at, at their own hands, because everybody tells them that everybody looks at rich people, everybody looks at successful people, you know, and not realizing they're just human beings. Um, I've told myself that for a long time, if I meet an athlete, you know, everybody, especially now in social media, all they want to do is take pictures and, and basically show other people, Hey, I met this person. Yeah. Not sit down and say, Oh my God, can I talk to you about how you've gotten to where you're at? Can I have five minutes of your time? Because that to me at least is worth way more than a picture or an autograph could ever be. Um, Definitely. Yeah. I don't, I don't even have much else to add on to that, but yeah, that's, that's a really good point, man. What else? Well, you I, if I could just add one thing, go for it. Yeah, know, go ahead. I, everyone, you just said, there's so many people who say this stuff. There's so many you know, actors, musicians, uh, athletes, there's gotta be some truth to it then. Right. There's like, you know, I, I've talked about stuff like this with friends and, you know, the cynics, we all have friends who are very cynical. They're like, ah, you know, easy for you to say and all that kind of stuff, right. because I do think mindset matters. Um, I think if you just are proud of what you're putting out and, you know, I, I don't even check podcast numbers. I try not to, you know, when I do my podcast or when I put out videos on YouTube and stuff like that, because I think if you just put the thing out and just go, all right, it's out there now, it's out of my hands. I can't worry too much about it. That's the best you could do, you know? So there's, there's a really, I think mindset is a huge thing. Try to enjoy yourself, enjoy what you're doing. And at the end of the day, or at the end of the day, but eventually people will notice. And then, you know, the rewards will come in and all that stuff. And then at that time, you'll be ready for the success to come your way and all that. Instead of being the people who they get the success, don't know how to handle it. And then they're immediately like, what's next? They're never happy. I think the worst thing in the world is to achieve your goals and still be miserable. Cause it's like, what the hell oh was the God, point? Yeah. There? Yeah, yeah, 100%. especially for the people that spent years to get there. Like you yep. said, you spend in to wait until 42 to produce, which, by the way, do you think Seinfeld is the best sitcom of all time? I know you mentioned that, but I'm interested to see where you stand on that fence. I think it's still pro. I mean, there's some great ones. I like, uh, you know, um, yeah, I mean, nine seasons and it was really strong. And we got to remind ourselves, too, that they couldn't do like I love it's always sunny in Philadelphia. I think that's amazing. But it's mm -hmm. always sunny even said we pitched ourselves as being Seinfeld on crack because we know we'd be on cable so we could do more stuff. Um, yeah, there's been a lot of great sitcoms since then. But why do you have a favorite? Do you have one that you think is better? I'm, I'm an office guy. I mean, I'm, I love I, the office too. I completely unintentionally wore a Dunder Mifflin sweatshirt because it was the only one I had. You know, I got an AC vent right above me. So if I don't, I freeze my ass off while we're recording uh, Dose of OJ here. So <laughs> I had to wear a sweatshirt with me. But I don't know what it is because the office is, is one of those sitcoms where I don't know that I've met many people in the middle ground of the office. Um, it's either, damn, I love that shit. Like Michael Scott, you know, that's what she said every time you get the chance, which is I do that a little too often still. Maybe I'll grow out of it. Maybe I won't. We'll see. Um, but the, no, I the love dry the office kinda... too. I love it too. By the way, that's what she said. The office stole from Wayne's world. The movie oh, Wayne's world did. That's what she said first. And the office totally ripped that off. And I, yeah. again, I love the office. Um, although the thing is when I look at like greatest of all time, the Office's last two seasons weren't they weren't as no, good. They weren't. 
so. I, and yeah, I, I haven't watched to be fair Seinfeld in its entirety. I've seen a ton of it. Um, I I don't agree with the argument of Friends. If I know we have, oh no, no, that, I but I don't even think either. it's close. No, what do you I think, Josh? No, I I don't think so either. I think it was just super. See, that's tough though because like it was popular. It's it's very popular with the people who like them. Like if you like it, you're a diehard. But I don't really think that there's people that are like, yeah, Friends is okay. It's not bad. You either love it or you're like, turn this shit off. I'm not a fan. I totally did not mean to get off into sitcom chat now. No, do you no, want to cool. do what? I'm actually the guy. I'm in between on Friends. You know what? Because my wife loves it. And I've seen enough episodes where I'll, I'll right. admit, I'll be like, that was a funny episode. But again, I will never, if I'm flipping through the channels and Friends is on, I'm still, I'm going to keep flipping. I'm just right. not. Where if The Office is on or Seinfeld's on, I'm going to stop and watch it. Modern Family is another great one. Um, Arrested Development was a great one, but only did three seasons. New Girl, you guys watch New Girl? Oh, new Girl. Dude, we've talked, talked about, about that last new episode Girl so many times. I don't know why I always forget his name, Josh. Jake Johnson. He, okay, so here's Jake the Johnson. We had this discussion. Forget Jake Johnson's name. <laughs> we had this discussion on last episode, and I, I feel like you'll get a bit of a, a kick out of this, is because I feel like so Owen's small town guy, and we're you and I, Joe, both Chicago guys. He's like, oh, Jake Johnson. Yeah, he. And I said he's a Chicago guy. He goes, oh, well, he's a, you. You know, you know who he is. Like, just text him. Like, you, you just know who. And I'm like, yeah, that's right. Because I think that's you're how you're taking it works. that a bit out of context. Because people in New York, Chicago, and LA all have each other's numbers, and we can we can just hit him up whenever we want to. Yeah, definitely. You know, we we all go to the same coffee shops. Yeah. So went to different schools together and everything. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. I, Josh, I do, do want to ask you. I want to ask <laughs> you ahead. this, Joe, because. I'm so interested with this because in high school, there were people that were like, oh, you know, we're going to do theater and we're going to do all this other stuff. And like, if you were a jock, it was like the theater kids are a bunch of lame. Like they're, they're dumb. Were you a theater kid? Were you, were you, no, I was a jock. I played sports and, um, I regret not being a theater kid. I would have still played sports. Don't get me wrong. But like my my high school did the odd couple, which I loved the movie and the TV show as a kid. It was like my, my dad would put it on TV the original movie with Walter Matthau and Jack Lemmon is hysterical. Um, and they, they did a couple other, I mean, a couple of the other plays I probably not would have been into, but that one was a cool one. And, you know, knowing what I know now would have been beneficial to have put my foot in that water. Right. But I grew up in a very blue collar part of Chicago where, you know, if you, if I would have tried out for the play, all my friends would be like, Oh, look at this little Nancy boy over <laughs> yeah. here. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> you got a Joey, Joey Hollywood. Huh? Yeah, they would, yeah. I would they would give me a hard time, which is unfortunate. Um, yeah, I, those worlds don't mesh. Hopefully, maybe things are changing nowadays. I, I don't, I don't really know. I don't know any, you know, high school what? kids. I, yeah, I feel like you, <laughs> are high school kids allowed to make fun of each other nowadays? Like, I don't that... know. <laughs> I don't know. I will say this though: I talked about this on an episode of someone's podcast recently. People need to understand there is a difference between busting chops and bullying. Bullying is when you you know ridicule and make fun of someone who you're not friends with right you're being just a, a dick for no reason someone like with the intention call... of hurting them yes that's bullying um but like you know if we were all hanging out in the cafeteria and i go hey dickhead go give me some fries you know and then later we walk home from school together and we hang out on weekends i'm not bullying you i'm bu- i'm giving you shit right like right um because bullying is terrible i i hate with a strong passion bullying but I think lines get blurred because every now and then I hear someone say like, oh, I saw these kids doing it. I'm like, no, those are friends. They were just giving friend guys make fun of each other. That's just how that goes. We all would give each other horrible nicknames and stuff like that. That's a difference between going out of your way and hurting someone. Uh, but yeah, with school, though, it, 
hopefully things are, I think that'd be a good thing to change where you could go, you know, you could play football and baseball and then also be like, Hey, I'm gonna go try for a play and no one's giving you a hard time or you're not giving the theater kids a hard time. It's weird because people give the theater kids a hard time a little bit, but then they become people that you end up wanting to be later in life. Leonardo DiCaprio was a theater kid. And yet every dude I know was like, Oh man, if I could be that guy for one day. And it's like, you know, you were an asshole to him in high school, (laughs) right? Like same with music. I, I just want to say fans, I, all those dudes in music who painted their fingernails and do all that stuff. People give them a hard time. And then later you're like, let's go pay a hundred bucks to see Fall Out Boy, the band we made fun of when we were, that went to our own high school. You know, I was trying to think of a show, Chicago band. And that's yeah. one of them, but it's weird. Damn. I didn't know Fall Out Boy was Chicago. See, oh, I've man, you so are many so things on this map. episode. You are I so like Fall Out Boy a lot too. I feel bad for not knowing that. They're a fun band. Yeah. If you... Speak- if but you, they weren't popular ahead. in high school. You know what I mean? No, no, they. Well, my when I was in high school, they were. But. No, I mean like you liked them, but I'm oh, saying when, when they, they were, were high in high school, school students, they weren't popular. I remember seeing an interview with that like that where they were like, "Oh, it's so weird getting famous because all these guys that were jerks to us in high school were later like, hey, man, can we get tickets to the show? Or heard you're playing, you know, <laughs> uh, Alpine Valley or something like that. You know, you're going to be at the Riv. Can we get tickets to that? And they're like, no, you, we hated you. Why would yeah. we, you were mean to us. Like, you found out yeah. I could play drums. Now you want to go to the show? It's weird. Anyway. Yeah. Oh, and I cut you off. What were you going to say? I was going to ask if you want to go ahead and get into Bopper Flop before we get too deep. Um, you know, I, think we're, I think we're pretty deep here. Uh, so... Um, yeah, we do, uh, we do a bopper flop here and I'm stalling because I have to make sure it's queued up, but, uh, I, I didn't <laughs> no, really no rush know. on my end. If you got like, you know, I, I got no time constraints or anything. So oh, don't worry. I have more. I got more. Okay. Yeah. I also, let more. me apologize. People listening. You're not going to deal with this, but I got to let you two know my video feed is choppy. And I, and I know it's because I haven't updated my zoom in a minute because I did a video conference on Streamyard and it was perfect earlier today well, but well, i'm real choppy on your end so sorry well i i think i'm gonna tell you why you know me and josh are balling over here with zoom pro now like yeah no zoom idea. pro dose of oj around here so i i just don't know if your uh, normal version of zoom can hang with this partner I probably can't I'm feeling right now honestly <laughs> it's intimidated oh that's funny all right here's bopper flop immediately you should know what this is obviously wake up in the morning and now the question is see we tried to pick something uh we tried to pick something please don't sue us by the way Uh, copyright um we tried to find something that was a little bit older that wouldn't be like super mainstream because i don't know what kind of music you listen to but uh that's tupac changes of course but yeah uh, yeah yeah yeah. of course so bop right it's it's definitely bop bop. absolute bop yeah it's it's a a great song that's been covered by country artists and all sorts of stuff so yeah that's a bop Okay, Sorry, I forgot. Well, I'm supposed to. Am I supposed to like say bop or flop immediately, or do I let the song play? No, no, you, you no, can let it ride. Yeah. Okay. It de- yeah. it depends just because Josh, I don't know what goes through Josh's head sometimes when he picks no. these bop or flop tracks. Um, we've had Cardi B, we've we played <laughs> Zeppelin, um, we've done what we've it's uh, just Doja ridiculous. Cat. That's range, Doja that's good. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I'm 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 cultured. Oh my goodness. Yeah. See, listen, I I love Tupac. Now, maybe we can just have a whole rap discussion here, honestly, because I've had this talk with a lot of people. I I know, Josh, you're not like the biggest hip hop head and Joe, I guess I'm about to find out. But do do you guys consider Tupac one of the greatest of all time? Because I I have very strong feelings about this argument. You know, I'm not as big a modern hip hop head. Um, You know, I I know a few people who are still like really... Mm -hmm. I think Tupac, 
it's almost like on the flip side, like alternative music. I am a big Nirvana fan, but every now and then people talk about like Kurt Cobain as like a guitarist and he was really overrated. And I go, yeah, maybe he was overrated, but I didn't blame Rolling Stone for putting him in their top 50 or whatever because he was influential. Now, Tupac, as far as like an actual rapper, like, you know, beats per minute and flow and all that. Yeah, I could probably think of like 20 to 30 people I'd rather hear. Mm-hmm. But there was something about his cultural impact. You know, I think of a song right. like California Love and just how like, you know, I could tell him I'm in my mid 30s. I'm definitely way older than both of you. And when that I remember when that came out, I remember seeing the music video on MTV. Granted, I was like nine or 10 or something. I was really young. But I remember that being like a huge deal. And everyone's like, Tupac is now with West Coast and he's with Death Row and this whole like those label wars they had in the mid nineties and all that and East coast, West coast. And there was just, I, I, he's so influential that I feel like he has to have some sort of spot in yeah, like a top 20, I guess you could say top. I don't know if you put him top 10, but like top 20, if anyone has them in their top 20, I go, yes, I 100% agree with that. He's Tupac. Yeah. It was a movement. It was a whole thing. Um, but as far as like the, the, technical side of rapping no i probably yeah. haven't that high see like i said i have strong feelings about this argument just because i i know many people that lie on completely different spectrums of this argument right where tupac is their goat i, I don't really know how i feel about that term nowadays because i kind of think music is, in some genres is similar to sports where it's really hard to compare eras sometimes because the influences i mean just just going back to the 90s with Pac, i mean they didn't have social media. It wasn't like people were reacting to changes on Twitter because it was the hottest track of the week, right? It was just completely different. And for him to still have the big impact that he did socially. I mean, like you said, you play California Love in, in Africa, in Europe, in Russia. They know who it is. They can probably tell you it's Tupac. Um, and that that holds some weight. I don't think he's a number one type guy. I really don't even think he's top three, to be honest with you. Nas and Biggie are my one and two. They, they always have been. Illmatic is my my goat rap out of album ready to die is number two sat that away for a while after that I feel like it's just kind of noise because I I haven't listened to much that compares to those two but yeah that's that's my rap album argument that I felt I needed to get on dose of OJ Nas is definitely underrated Nas is phenomenal and I feel like people forget about Nas a lot of times there's that one Eminem song I think it's till I collapse where he has like a list He's like, here's my list. And he always, he throws Nas in there. And I'm like, good. Mm-hmm. Eminem knows what's up because I was a big Nas fan. I had a chance where I could have gotten a picture taken with Nas. He was oh. at this bar and a few of my friends were like, it's Nas over there. I'm like, oh shit, you're right. And everyone was playing it cool. But then there was an opportunity where a few of my friends got their picture with him and I missed the bow. And I, then I didn't want to be like, oh fuck, he's leaving. I tap him on the shoulder, which is just not cool. You know what I mean? I feel like, especially for a rapper, I feel like there's certain genres of like music where you're like, yeah, you don't tap them on the shoulder. You know, if it's some pop star, you might be able to get away with it. But I feel like, yeah, right, they're, they're right. rappers. And I, they're different kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tap them on the shoulder, you get folded in the bar real quick. Yeah. Um, so, for, are you a starstruck guy? Like, like especially coming up in comedy, like you know, I mean, Daniel Burris. Like, there's, I mean, you, you, you're not, uh, you're not just performing with average Joes around here. Like, I'm sure that, especially in LA and stuff, you've you've met and run into, you know prestigious people are you a guy who's like oh my god or are you like a okay yeah you're a guy i'm a guy cool no yeah i'm not um i'm trying to think if i've ever someone asked me this not that long damn it have i ever gotten starstruck where i was like holy cow oh yeah i'm i saw mariska hargate from law and order svu that but she's not even like i've hung out 
well, I've driven and party with way more famous people than her, but I was, we had just moved to LA. We were at some like burger place and I have like a big name one. Cause we were just hungry. It was like our first night or second night in LA. And uh, we're walking in, in the place. Lawn or SVU was on. And you know, I remember he's like, Oh, Lawn SVU, it's on every day, all the time, no matter what, you know, and we're getting, we're walking back to our car and a woman who was in like a pretty nice car was like, Hey, are you guys leaving? And we're like, oh, yeah, you could have it. And my wife and I both got in the car. And we're like, oh, my God, you know who that was? That was my star today. You know, we kind of like did a little freak out. But um, no, I've I just have never gotten starstruck. You know, I um, I had the privilege of shaking Robin Williams hand. I saw him at a dive bar in Chicago. Wow. He was doing the Chicago theater in two nights. And he, I think he was on Oprah the day before and just happened to pop into this little bar show for comedy that was no bigger than a typical Chicago basement. It was a really small bar called um, Town Hall Pub, which I think is now longer open on broadway like just kind of i don't know like half a mile east of wrigley field i want to say maybe a mile and um you know vince vaughn was my boss in la you know i've hung out with, i played whirly ball and laser tag with him a bunch of times i've hung out with him well you, know, you played I'm, laser tag with vince vaughn yeah yeah <laughs> and you my gotta wife. tell me we can't just glaze over that you gotta tell me all right i'll tell you the whole laser story tag so, with vince vaughn there's a comedian who's a really good friend of mine, Steve Byrne, who I used to open for a lot. And I still talk to him. I actually worked with him this past weekend, um, the improv outside of Chicago. And yeah, I've known him for about 11 years now. So I was like 25 when I met him. And uh, he liked me, started bringing me on the road with him. Him and Vince Vaughn are like best friends. And when I moved to LA, I was a stand in on the show called Sullivan and Son, which was a TBS show that Vince Vaughn was an executive producer of. So he was kind of like the big guy in charge. And Vince, like me, because I was a Chicago kid, and you know, we had like some Chicago type stuff we always talk about. But one night, uh, Steve hits me up going, Hey, we're all gonna go grab some drinks and do something. And I brought my wife along because I thought their women were with them too, right? They weren't. So it was myself, Steve Byrne, Vince Vaughn, my wife. So that's four of us, Dave Bolin from the Blackhawks, uh, who I became good friends with through them. I was actually at Dave Bolin's uh, wedding. And I uh, performed at his charity golf event in Toronto. And I've had that's awesome. insanely fun nights with that dude. He's a great guy. And through him, I went, met Ben Eager and a few other guys on the Hawks, you know, Dan Carcilla, Ray Emery, RIP. But anyway, and then um, his buddy Drex, who was a Toronto rapper and a great guy, and maybe one other person. So it was like four on four. And I wasn't on Vince's team for the first round of laser tag. But Vince was yelling out weird, like, plays. Like he would go scorpion, scorpion. And we, I just thought like, oh, he's doing the fucking wedding crasher shtick. You know what I mean? Where it's like red seven, red seven, you know? And I think he even yelled out red seven, some other stuff like that. I'm like, he's just, you know, being funny. And then later Bolin told me that, um, no, Bolin was on my team. No, the guy Drex told me, he goes, you know, when we were yelling scorpion, that meant everyone get Joe Kilgallen's girlfriend. They're all like, he's like, hey, I yell scorpion, everyone get, get, get Joe's girlfriend. And my girlfriend, I told her, well, now my wife, I told her, or they ended up telling her and she's like, Hey, that makes sense now because out of nowhere, everyone went for me. And I thought, do I just keep ending up in the worst spot? Like what's happening? Um, but yeah, really, really nice, funny dude. Um, he hangs out with Peter Billingsley, who's Ralph in a Christmas store. I remember meeting him being like, what is my life right now? I'm, you know, drinking at 5am with the, you know, guy who was on yeah. my favorite Christmas movie of all time and all that. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel just like, like a bastard name dropping left and right, but I've been very, very fortunate to, have met and hung out with a lot of really like big A-list names and, and both stand-up comedians and actors and, and professional athletes. And, um, but yeah, I've never really got, I don't know. I just think you play it cool after a while. You think, you know, the actresses I've kind of had like a, holy shit. That's what you look like in real life. 
Good lord. <laughs> you know, was 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 there one of those that stood out to you the most? I'm not trying to get you in trouble here. I'm just curious. Um I'll probably think of a better example tomorrow, but I remember I was within and I only said hi, what's up to her. I didn't really like talk talk with her. I was within about five feet of Jennifer Aniston or a few feet, you know. That's who I was gonna bring up like oh. because that's at the top of my list. I mean, she's forever gonna be the most gorgeous <laughs> woman in the world to me. I just I mean it's dude, seeing her in 3D was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> Wait, okay, what was this? Was this uh when was this? Was this 2000s Aniston? Was this, this 90s? Was her pretty prime for her? 2006, 2007? Oh. I was oh, pretty yeah. young and uh, wow, yeah. And you're just like, what, what is this? This isn't that's crazy. Like, like you're that. afraid to breathe too heavy because you don't want to offend her. Like it's just, yeah. <laughs> I mean, she's just, she was so strikingly beautiful that it, it did not make sense, you know? Um, and, and there's a few people like that. Even I remember was it Miley Cyrus once I was doing a show at the laugh factory in Hollywood and they've got like an upstairs lounge where a lot of the comedians will hang out before the show and stuff. And I think she was there to see Dane Cook because she was friends with him. And he was about to go on. And I, I was friendly enough with Dane. Um, we'd be like, hey, what's up, Joe? What's up, Dane? How you doing? You know, we just talk a little bit. But I was going up the stairs and then she was coming down them. And I've I've always thought like, oh, yeah, she's pretty. She's cute. Kind of huge teeth. But, like, I, you know, I was never like, holy <laughs> shit, Miley Cyrus. But seeing her in person, I remember being like, damn. Okay. Miley Cyrus. Yeah. Party in the USA. What's up? Like she looked <laughs> really striking. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm trying. Like living in LA, I think I, see I, think I might end time. up getting myself in trouble more for this question than I ever would Joe if April goes back and listens to this. Josh. Yeah, I mean it's it's not a big deal. I mean she's supposed to be on the pod anyway, so who cares? I want to talk about the 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 name drop thing real quick though, because you know I I I worked in country radio. I I've been in the entertainment industry and stuff like that. I mean not anymore, but I, the name drop thing to me. I think the only people who are like, ugh, he just keeps name dropping are people who've never been in the industry because like, these are your stories. Like you're, you're, right. so, I mean, if it's like, if I was, if I called Owen, it's like, oh yeah, you you remember the guy that I went to school with in high school and I just saw him for you. It's like, yeah, you remember Dane when Dane performed here? I just saw him five minutes ago. And to us, it's like Dane Cook, well, well sick brag. And you're like, that's just who I know. Like, yeah, like, I mean, and, you're right, oh. but I wanted you know listeners to be aware of. I don't want it to be a guy that keeps. Right. And then one time yeah. I did this cool thing, and then another time these guys yeah. were there. And right. right. Shots and with this guy. And, you I, know, like I, I totally understand. I'm definitely not trying to cut you off. I just saw a quote about this very like particular thing that kind of reminds me of the situation. And it, I don't know why this quote stood out to me. It was specifically because they misspelled Drake's name. In the quote, it, instead of it saying at Drizzy Drake, it said at Drizzy Dark. Still don't know why. Like D Wade quoted it and everything. I mean, it went kind of viral, but it was talking about um, you can't talk about life goals or successes with people that aren't as motivated because then it just sounds like you're bragging. Um, and that that seemed really, really true because you sit here talking to us like, yeah, there's been kind of a wow factor for some of these stories, but at the same time, you've moved yourself up to that crowd. Like you've given the right to say, oh yeah, shit. I was just with Dane Cook the other day. Like that's, we're fine. We got no problem. And I completely understand. No, no, that's cool. And there's, there's, that's a, you know, if we were going to get a little more philosophical, a little more than we right. already have. There is something about that. You know, everyone listening, you got to be aware of the circle you keep. Sometimes I, I read a thing about how when you make a post saying like, I got the job, everyone's like so thrilled for you. But if you make a post where 
going to create my own job and here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to start a business or do this or that. People are always a little bit like, be careful. Yeah. I think because a lot of people wish they could do that, but they don't have the guts or they don't have anything. So they naturally, whatever, for whatever reason, I think sometimes it's unintentional. They got their own personal insecurities that they project Mm -hmm. in other people. And they kind of like, you know, try to bring you down a little bit. Um, So be beware of who you hang out with this last year and a half should teach everyone that life's pretty short. And, you know, unfortunately, I've had to ditch a couple friends where I'm just like, man, you know, we had great times forever, but you're just a negative piece of shit. And there's just, <laughs> you know, there's the, you know, we're different people now. So sometimes you got to, you got to cut the fat in your life every now and then, you know, if you got people who aren't trying to achieve big things and have ambition, it's hard. You know, if, if you have ambition and you're hanging out with people who don't, that clashes, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, hundred percent. I I want to make sure that I that I ask this question too because we've we've had discussions about this uh, on on previous episodes and we do talk about sitcoms and Netflix shows and stuff like that. And and being a, a comedian slash actor just in the creative space, if there was a show running now or not running now that you could be like, if I could be on that show, like regardless of where it could take you in your career, just it would be an absolute blast to be on this show what would that be? Oh man. Um, Jesus, that's a great question. Yeah. It could be I, was, a movie about, too. I was about to say that. <laughs> no, if I could be a cast, no, it's a, it's a, it's a big question. It deserves a big answer. If I could be a cast member on any show, damn. Um, Fuck new girl. They always look like they have a lot of fun. I, that know, cast I, was, new girl. I, I like know. cast where it looks like they legitly have a good time. Oh, you know, what would have been a cool show to have been on scrubs. I oh, like that. Yeah. Cause <laughs> they took the, the, you know, medical show, which there were so many at the time and made a comedy out of it, which was cool. Um, Seinfeld was only four characters and they were also perfect. I can't see myself in that world. Fitting, yeah. Do you, you think know? there's a character in a show you could replace fairly well? Yeah, I think I'd be a great Sam Malone on Cheers. <laughs> Why was that answer so fast? <laughs> you, you do that one. Yeah. Well, because as you were saying, which show Cheers did pop in my head, I just didn't get to it yet because it's a bar show. And I used to be a manager at an Irish pub when I was in my early 20s. And, uh, you know, being a comedian, I'm around bars and that drinking atmosphere a lot. And, you know, being an Irish Catholic. So clearly it wasn't that helps. Quigley's, uh, was it? What's that? wasn't Quigley's, was it? What's that? Wasn't Quigley's? No, no. I was an assistant manager when I was 23 at a bar in Ravenswood neighborhood called O'Shaughnessy's. Oh, I've heard of that. I've heard of that. Yeah, Ravenswood's kind of a smaller neighborhood, but only about two miles north of uh, Wrigley Field off of like Montrose and Ashland, kind of tucked away there off the train track. Anyway, though, but like, I feel like cheers. Like I could have been the bartender that uh, a little cocky. I could have been the womanizing bartender who's a former baseball player. Why not? Oh, man. Yeah. I could see that for sure. I also don't want to glaze over the new girl thing too. Cause I just, I don't know what the vibe is and it might just be cause we've chatted for almost an hour now, but I feel like the chemistry with you and Zoe Deschanel would just be fantastic. I don't know what it's like to work with her, but she's funny as hell to me. I don't know how she plays her roles. I don't know anything about acting, but I watched another movie with her in it the other day. And it, it made me want to go back and finish new girl. Cause I've never watched it all the way through. I've only watched the first couple seasons. No, she's, also very beautiful um only in hollywood her sister was the star of the show bones you ever I've seen the TV show bones? Okay, i did not know that yeah yeah they're sisters that's emily de wow. hmm. and only in hollywood would emily de be known as the ugly one yeah right <laughs> <laughs> 
very good looking too. Right. And right. how proud are those parents? At one time, they're, both oh their God. daughters had TV shows on Fox, Bones and New Girl. Crazy, right? It, uh, Zoe Deschanel is also an amazing singer. Um, you know, in the movie know Elf, she's the, the love interest in the movie Elf. She had blonde hair yeah. for that. Oh died. my God. Wait, hold on. <laughs> you didn't know that? No, Josh? I didn't know that was her. Yep. Wow. And that's okay. her really have singing. You... She's got a great voice. So I kind of, yeah, that's sexy to me, you know? I, have you, you know seen a, have you seen yes man josh that's the only movie i can think of her with oh, her i knew it. okay I, I that now I, that clicked right away I, I knew that but when she was like 18 or 19 sorry this will be the last of the zoe deschanel imdb <laughs> oh we keep talking about her huh? yeah <laughs> she was in almost famous she played the sister who becomes a flight attendant in almost famous oh wow. the big blue eyes man i dig that look my wife's got big blue eyes too so I I, you know what's crazy that. you know what's crazy to me is like we you kind of touched on it a little bit with like comedians and, and 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 people on social media is like unless you're in like the big stuff not everybody's gonna know you but like i think it's so crazy how some of these big time actors and actresses were <laughs> in tv shows and movies in like the early 2000s or even like four or five years ago and you're like you were in that like really dude i was that was what that was like the good part about the last 13 months i feel like people went revisited a lot of stuff that from back in the day i rewatched new girl not new girl i'm sorry i just said that um the girl next door you ever see the movie the girl next door Have you? that sounds really familiar alicia cuthbert's in it um you know she plays like a girl who moves in next door that he later finds out's a porn star and all this kind of stuff and hilarity ensues but, uh, you know, it's a teen movie. It's a high school movie. And the, the main three guys, like the main guy and his two friends, they're not popular at all. And they've always played it safe. And he's been a straight A student and all that. So the girl next door in her porno ways helps him get loose and all that. Or let right. loose. And, but one of the, like, the hot high school girls in the beginning of the movie who only has like one line is Olivia Wilde, who's oh pretty A-list right now. I remember when I was yeah. watching, I'm like, Olivia yeah. Wilde's in this? Holy shit. And I looked it up and it was like her first ever role. Wow. that's that's wild man like well, well okay how about this here's the here's the other thing that i that i want to talk about too with actors and actresses i just watched um the morning show on apple tv and i'm like hold on steve carell and jennifer aniston oh and uh ooh, no disrespect can't remember her name now it's it's not not coming to me but i'm like i didn't like no one knew about the morning show except for people who have apple tv like that's it it's a very small bubble and I started watching it and I'm like, Jennifer Aniston? I'm like, really? I just, I don't know. It's, it's crazy to me. Like you expect them to be in the only the movies that do absolutely gigantic things and that's it. But like they're, I mean, they're constantly duds out working. There. Well, I don't know if it's duds, but it's like they're constantly work, working. I guess, in general. Yeah. Yeah. Like you said, I, I completely forgot where I was going to try and, and go with this here. Um, Damn, I, I completely lost my train of thought, Josh. Well, there's so many platforms now that people could be on shows you've never heard of. And, yep. yeah. and a lot of these movie stars love it because it's consistent work for, you know, they do 10 episodes. They usually typically in, I mean, unless it's like Game of Thrones where every episode's like a movie. But on most shows like that show, one week an episode. So if you do 10 episodes, it's 10 weeks. And then they're off for a few months and then they'll go shoot a movie for a few months. And then it's just like, it's a nice year for them. And television has become a more popular medium than movies. Some of the best writers who used to write screenplays for movies are like, screw that. There's more money in TV because the residuals are gigantic. You know, you, you, you have a show that does six seasons that goes into reruns. It lives forever and you're getting checks 
in perpetuity. It's just, it's I mean, those friends piece. guys, I know, I know we brought that up in, in a little bit earlier, but the amount of residual money they're still getting from that show is I can't even fathom how much it is. And they don't, they did that reunion recently, but the 15, 16 years in between, they were getting paid for doing nothing off that show. Yeah. It's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah, I, I, I've only done, I've had a couple lines in a couple shows, but man, I would love to really get, that's well, the thing. I really uh, wish it was a theater kid. Cause then maybe I would have pursued acting in, I love standup and I would have eventually done that too. But if I could have pursued them both equally, um, right now, my main focus is stand, but who knows the way we're talking about Olivia Wilde was in this. Hopefully you guys could say Joe Kilgan was in an episode of Chicago med once. Can you believe that shit? Like in 2018, I mean, it's not a piece of shit show. They're great yeah. people. They paid me well. <laughs> I'm, yeah, right. I'm just saying like, you know how like later in life people look back and they go, Oh, that person was on this show. And that, you know, like uh, Leonardo Caprio was on growing pains and people forget that, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yep, yeah. I've, I mean, I've learned a lot from Mr. Kilgallen today. Yeah, that's what I'm saying, dude. So, okay, we were talking about this when we were uh, when we were hanging out in here before you jumped in, and I could be making myself look real dumb here, but uh, there's a, there's also a Joe Kilgallen that was a producer on Ridiculousness. That's um, me. That is you. Oh, okay. it, yeah, it was you. Because okay. we saw okay. that IMDb so, account. Josh was like, I, I just don't know if that's that's just a different Joe Kilgallen. But no, I'm that's like, me. I when just I don't LA, know how many. Ridiculousness. Did you, no, no did you work deal. with Deer Deck and the crew? Was, how, what was that like? You know, I was, in a, I was a, a segment producer. So what the segment producers do, the writers come up with the concept of the show. So, uh, you know, aren't you, you guys, I'm, imagine, I'm assuming you've seen the show Ridiculousness. So yeah. whenever there's a guest on, they try to have like the videos go along with whatever the guest experiences are and all that stuff, you know, and mm. then the writers come up with ideas where, you know, they're like this one, what was she? She might have been like an internet personality, but there was a funny photo of her dressed like a clown, like at a concert. So then they had us look for other out of place clown videos. You know, so we had to like, so I, it was my job to find the videos. The writers would come up with like the, here's the concept. We need to find videos that relate to the concept. So that was what I would do. It was kind of a fun where, job in that sense. I mean, some days you go sucked. scrolling through for videos? You just, well, you look through YouTube and then there's all sorts of other platforms you could go through and there's companies that license these videos out. So you basically just spend your whole day just searching the internet high and far to the deepest parts of YouTube videos that have seven views. Like just as, as long as it's could fit and be funny, that was what it was going with. Um, now, did I work along Rob? Not really. No, because he would only show up on show dates. So like, you yeah, know, we're everyone behind the scenes has the episode ready to go. He comes out there, says the words, fills in the gap. And there you go. He's like the I delivery doctor. How are you? But like, you don't really work alongside him. Gotcha. And, and I got the, that the job only... because I was, I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just going to ask about Chanel West Coast because I know you said you didn't really work with Rob, but as, as much as that show was funny sometimes, I couldn't ever just decide if her laugh and her just kind of demeanor was an act or if she really just kind of seemed that, uh, I don't want to say dumb, but that that's about the only thing I could think of. <laughs> that's um, that, that's it. That's a good one. Yeah, I didn't work right on there. it very long and the people who were there were cool. So, but you know, a lot of people know it was a Tosh.0 ripoff show, which interesting enough, that's how I got the job. I was a production assistant on Tosh.0 and huh. they had kind of taken a few other people from there. So I knew some, I knew a couple people who worked there and they're like, Hey, they're looking for like a new, uh, another segment producer. Um, you know, you should, 
should come in for a meeting. I think I could set that up for you. I think you'd be great for it because they like people who'd work for Tosh, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, I was like, yeah, let's, let's do it. You know, it was the weirdest thing. I went out to LA just to do stand up, and, and I wanted to get in the, into writing rooms. Um, and then I ended up spending most of my time as a producer. So that is funny. Um, well, I, I want to kind of start going back to comedy for a second. I'm not uh, sure how much time we got here, but this is one of the things I was going to ask at the beginning. Um, you know, I know you said you did some producing, kind of dabbled in a little bit of acting and, you know, remembering lines for smaller parts, I'm sure is easy. But when you write down comedy specials, like when you're writing your set, what is the process of going into memorizing that whole thing? Like, is it kind of loose? Do you mix it up as the flow of the crowd goes? Like, what, what does that look like for you? I kind of go off of the way Bill Burr and Louis CK do it unintentionally. Um, I used to, when I first started doing standup, I would write every joke down word for word. And then, you know, you go on stage as much as possible. And then muscle memory kicks in where you just know the beats of the joke. All right. You know, you hit gotcha. this punchline, you pause a little bit because there's laughter and then you throw in that tag and then add in this and all that. And I basically come up with the joke idea and I write it down in a, in a little notepad, but I don't write the whole joke out. So I write the joke down as if it's like a track title on an album, you know? So okay. like if I have a joke about oral sex, I'll just in my notepad, I write down oral sex. And then I kind of have the joke in my brain and I go up there and I work it out a bunch at like, you know, smaller showcases some bar shows, even some open mics, you know, I'll still hit those. Uh, like the good ones are fun to still pop in at and work out some material. Um, or if I'm doing a Tuesday night at the laugh factory, I'll throw in a new joke, new jokes in the middle a little bit. Then you know, we want to start strong and then throw some new stuff in and then close strong. And so just through repetition, like you're doing it over and over again, and then you feed off the crowd. Um, on my last hour special that I released, I had a, like a good minute and a half chunk where I remember my one a couple of my community friends going like, I never heard that joke. And I go, that's the first time I've ever told it. And they go, fuck you. And I'm like, no, it's just <laughs> the crowd was hot. I had this one joke where I needed like another thing. And I knew I needed another thing. It opened real strong. And I, I'm like, I need a third thing to really drive it home. You know, that like rule of three is big in comedy. Right. And I just was struggling with like what to really throw in there. And then I don't know, like the audience was, I was feeling it from the audience and then just something clicked where it was the thought I'd had way back in the recesses of my brain. And then just off the vibe of them, I'm like, Oh, boom, say this. I said it and it did really well. And then I ad libbed another line or two and it came together. Great. And I remember being like, yes, that was so, that was my favorite part of the whole thing. Cause I knew the rest of it was going to work. I've been working it over and over and over again, but I do like to keep it loose. Uh, Bill Burr and Louis C.K. never write down their jokes. I mean, they write down like the joke, but they don't go word for word. And Louis C.K. had a great thing where he's this was like 2009 or something. In an interview, he goes, it's a different side of your brain that writes than speaks. So, you know, your brain thinks of it. You then write it on paper. You read it back to yourself. It goes through another side of your brain and you speak it out loud. What, that's just so much work. Why not just go from brain to mouth instead of going brain, paper, paper, brain again, brain mouth just go brain mouth and then he he says that's his style it works best for him he goes on stage he says it a bunch of times and after like four or five times he eventually just has the joke memorized and yeah you just i don't know you say it enough where you just you know it's the same with anybody in life you know you have a good story that you tell your buddies at the bar and then you know you tell your friends on a friday night you see a different group of your friends the next night your buddy mike's like dude hey fucking tell them that story you told the guys last night. All right. All right. Right. And then the more you tell it, the more, you know, get rid of that part of the story. That part sucks, you know, heighten this part. Cause everyone leans in when they, when you say, Oh, I, then I punched them and you're, Oh shit, you did that. What happened next? So then you kind of, you know, it's the same thing with, with telling jokes. Um, 
in stand-up comedy. You just, you eventually just figure out what's the best parts and you drive those home. We've talked so much about like the, the heights of, and, and the most important parts of, of your times in LA and, and stand-up comedy, but I want to hear, I don't know how many there are. I'm sure there's some, but I want to hear some, like, you really, you really shit the bed stories, like, like oh, open God. mic nights um, because, it, and the reason I ask is because that's, I've heard so many comedians say this and it's, it's not only true in comedy, but every other profession that like the times you fall on your face is when you're like, okay, I, all right, don't do that again. That didn't work. And that's like how you evolve. Yeah, I had. Jesus, I remember having this one pretty famous meltdown amongst the Chicago comedy scene. Uh, I was just super drunk, um, but I, I'd been kind of going through, like I was really annoyed about some stuff and I had some personal shit going on at the time. And I started my set, I was hosting, which is a whole different animal because you're the first one up there. And it was a show I was one of the producers of called Comedians You Should Know. It was me and five or six other comedians. We came together to run this great show that sells out every week, you know, before the pandemic. And I think I was like one or two jokes in and they both bombed and the audience wasn't feeling it. And I remember just being like, I think I said something out loud where it's like, I should have stayed in school. Fireman's <laughs> test. I should have oh, done this. Man. I, I do. <laughs> I was saying this all out loud. I was telling, then I started telling them how much they fucking sucked, how much I hated them. Um, I've had, I've had enough where I've literally been like, you guys think I'm joking right now. I fucking hate you people. You're stupid <laughs> as shit. Um, and I've done that all oh, plenty of times. If I not plenty, but, uh, annual, it's an annual thing where I have one set where I just lose it. And then I run into comedian friends throughout the rest of the week and they go, heard about you on Tuesday, buddy. Or I heard about what you did, you know, that night. Um, luckily in big, big settings, I haven't gone too dark with those moments. Um, but yeah, every comedian eats their, eats their fucking balls every now and then, you know? Yeah, I think I think that's a, a good way to put it. There was I, I and honestly, it might be cut might have been because there was a lot of clips from the same special, which, by the way, uh, Mr. Kilgallen put out, I think, fairly recently, just uh, uh, last week, maybe maybe the week before that at Greatest Hits. Um, yeah, that I was watching a little bit of on your YouTube. How's it feel to be in your uh, Greatest Hits era? That wasn't even my question, but I feel like I got to ask that. No, you know, I'm laughing because, um, you know, I haven't been able to. You know, comedy clubs are just starting to open up again, and right. my YouTube views were going down because I wasn't, you know, I had no new stand-up to post. So I was just filling it with podcast clips, and the podcast clips don't really do as great as my stand-up clips. Most of my subscribers came because they came across my stand-up, and some of them then became podcast fans, which is great, but the stand-up's the bread and butter. So I was talking to one friend, and it worked on TikTok because I was I was saying the same thing with TikTok. I go, man, I got a really good following, but I haven't posted any stand-up clips in a while. And he goes, why don't you just repost one of your old stand-up clips? And I did that and I ended up getting like 50,000 views and I got like another thousand followers. So it killed on TikTok. And I'm like, all right, let's do some stuff on YouTube. And I've come across other people where they have like, and I did this with like sex jokes. I had like Joe Kilgallen's best of sex jokes, Joe Kilgallen's best of crowd work, Joe Kilgallen, you know, so I'm like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to just put a bunch of clips together and do a greatest hits volume one, which sounds so insane to do for, I only have three hours or three albums. Um, was it hard to compile your own greatest hits? Uh, I tried to have it connect a little bit. It's just right, a right. fucking narcissistic thing to do. I feel yeah. like. <laughs> All right. Which of my best bits am I going to put on for the people? Cause this people really want this. They're demanding a greatest hits. Um, no, I just did that for another piece of content 
you know, gotta have another upload for the YouTube people to be like, all right, all right, we'll show, we'll put, like we'll keep you in the recommended part. Cool. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The, the whole, the whole way I was going with that question originally that there was, and I could be totally wrong. I don't know if it was at laugh factory at one of your Chicago comedy clubs, but there was a very distinct laugh that oh, I God, heard. No. Do you know <laughs> what I'm talking about? <laughs> yep. Um, so I have three hours. I have pay attention, which came out in 2015, which I recorded as an album, but I forgot we filmed it too. So I later put the hour up maybe sometime in 2020, I put the full hour up there and there was a couple clips from it. I had up separate, but then I found the full hours able to put it up. Um, then I had can't complain, which was in 2019. And then I didn't say anything bad in 2020. I didn't say anything bad. He was not at the show. He was at the show. The other two though. And, uh, he's a great guy. Great mm -hmm. dude. He knows his laugh is what it is though. <laughs> and I, I just think it's funny you knew exactly who it no was. because people made comments in the comments people were like what is going on with this dude and there's a few other people who have recorded albums and specials at that exact room and he shows up there he's just a big super fan and you know i've commented being like this guy comes to every show he's a super fan and that's you know, cool though that, it's cool that but now, that's the cool last thing. one yeah, dude, I agree. It is cool. I, and I'm so grateful for the dude. He's an amazing guy. I think he's uh, subscribed to my Patreon. Um, so I love the guy to death. But on my last hour, he did come to one of the shows. But I remember telling him like, hey, man, I appreciate you always coming out. I'm going to let me your tickets on me this time. Uh, come to the seven o'clock, knowing that the nine o'clock would be the better show. And I'd probably use the set from the nine o'clock. <laughs> so he came to the seven one and, and yucked it up real loudly. And I remember just being like, I'm just, this is practice. This is, you know, I'm, I'm at the driving range now. I'm playing 18 and the next one. And you're just like, oh, yep, I mean, I made the right decision there. <laughs> I just couldn't have that laugh again. People were going to be like, is this, is this his older brother? Is yeah. His dad yeah. being like yeah. trying to pad the laugh. Because that's the weird thing about comedy is there'll be people who legitly have a goofy, loud, passionate laugh. And some people will be like, is this like a is someone that planted this guy in here to try to get everyone else to laugh? Is this like legit? This guy like this laugh can't be that real, you know? So it's it's awkward. Well, so this is normally a question. I mean, we're we're starting to wind down here, but it's it's something that uh, we probably could save for last. But I have two, a two part question. How often are you now that things are starting to open up a little bit here? How often are you working through your material? Like, are, is it a, is it a biweekly thing, a weekend thing? What's, what's that looking like? And like, what's next? Like where, where are your, where are your next dates at? Uh, last weekend I did the improv and I went up twice Friday. I did two shows or three shows Saturday and then one on Sunday. So what is that? That's six, I went up six times over three days. And then I had a, a show at a bar during the week. So it was seven book sets. I went to an open mic. So I went up eight times. Um, yeah, Saturday there's two shows at the improv, and then there's a midnight at the Rosemont Zanies I, I went to to go up. Um, you know, I try to get on stage as much as possible as far as book shows go. It's been every week, but not as much as pre-pandemic. So maybe like three or four times a week, I'm doing like you know, legit paid spots. Um, and then I'll try to fill this the void a little bit with some open mics here or there if it's a slower week, just to try to stay fresh because I'm trying to build it back up now. I was in a weird spot where I released, I filmed an hour at the end of January of 2020. And then the pandemic started and I was working so hard. I was on the road a bunch leading up to that. I was grinding and trying to get that hour as, as tight as I could get. And so I took off like the first two weeks of February. I'm like, I'm taking a little two week break. I got my son's third birthday coming up. I'm going to, and then after that, the second half of February into March, I'll go right back into working out new stuff. And then the pandemic hit. So 
you know, I, luckily I was able to release the hour while nothing else was happening. So that was cool. But then when things open back up, I'm like, I don't want to do the material that's that I already put out. That's the thing as comedians, once we have something recorded and we put it out into the world, we want to do new shit. Right, so I had a right. lot of comedian friends going up at like these clubs and they're doing all the stuff they had been doing. And I'm like, I could go up there and kill with this stuff, but it's boring to me. I want to like, so that's why I'm trying to like ramp it up a little bit more. But as far as where I'm at, where I'm at next, I'll be shit. Go to joekilgallen.com. That's where I keep my show dates. Cause I know I'm at, I'm at a spot in Highland park coming up in a week or so. And I can't think of the name of the place though. I've, I've become bad with that stuff. I know where I know. Like you go to so many though. I'm sure. Well, I have a show that date, but then I, the day of, I'll be like, all right, what's the address? All right, cool. Put it in yeah. my phone, drive out. There. Just, you know what just I mean? to clarify, are you, are you in LA right now? Are you in, no, in I'm Chicago. in Chicago. Gotcha. gotcha. I'm in Chicago. So- I, I lived in Los Angeles from 2014 through what half of 27 there were like three and a half years. My, oldest son was born in LA. And then about three months after he was born, we moved back. We wanted to be near family. You know, I didn't have any family in California. My wife's a nurse and, you know, they could, you know, they work long shifts sometimes. So it would have been really hard to do all I wanted to do with, with, you know, trying to find sitters every other night, you know, because even, you know, doing, having family here is nice because I'm on the eight o'clock show at Laugh Factory. My wife doesn't get home from work till 7.50, 7.45 with traffic. I can't wait for her and then get to the show on time, but I could call up a sister-in-law to babysit for 45 minutes. It's hard to get an actual person. Hey, come watch my kid for 45 minutes. What do I pay you for that? Seven bucks? Like, I don't know. <laughs> you know, I don't know any teenagers right. in the neighborhood anyway that I would trust yeah. enough to watch my kids. And Chicago was popping enough where some more shows were being produced here. There's a lot of commercials. I, I, had, I did a bunch of commercial work, so that was cool. And being in the center, you know, like when things open back up, I stuck to the Midwest. I didn't want to do too much traveling. So, you know, I headlined the club, I headlined the funny bone in St. Louis in April. You know, I went to Indianapolis to do this brewery um, during the, you know, Indy 500 weekend, which was awesome. Um, And then, you know, I was in Devonport, Iowa last weekend. I was in, uh, you know, so I've been sticking Midwest mostly, you know what I mean? Just kind of popping around. Um, and then, you know, once things open back up again, I'll try to hit, hit up the coasts again and stuff like that. And then, yeah, and then I'll go to LA, you know, if there's some opportunities for stuff again, and, you know, if I, if I could try to get some meetings with different projects and hopefully, you know, so th- those doors are still open to me, but luckily I can own a house in Chicago instead of renting, you know, oh, crazy God, in LA. Yeah. Right. I, I was going to say something about, you know, I, I sticking in the Midwest totally makes sense, especially right now. I mean, it feels like things are opened up and at the same time it's still not it's kind of a, a strange vibe because we're like post-covid but not post-covid it's 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 strange and that's the world we're in but if you know if you're ever in the east coast you're you're atlanta charlotte you know i doubt you'll do anything here in south carolina but man let me know i'd love to come meet you i'd love to come see you um, Absolutely. I think it'd be fun to come to one of the shows i mean josh go see the man i mean you're there fuck i know dude that's why i asked where he's gonna be because I'm, I'm down to go i do have one one final question for you though i'll be at laugh factor and zanies a few times coming up in the oh, few hell weeks, yeah. so i'll let you know about that hell yeah absolutely um so i, I wanted to ask this earlier but it would it would have been an odd fit my friends are always like josh you're the funny guy why don't you do comedy and i'm like see being funny and being a stand-up comedian are two very, very different things. Like, I can't, I feel like I can't just go up on stage and be like. And be funny. Here's the joke. Like, it, they're very different aspects of like, you're a funny conversational guy. He's the funny stand-up comedian who has calculated jokes and throws punchlines in here and there. But I, I was, I'm not going to lie. I had a lot of time on my hands over the past 18 months. 
I don't I'm know like, where this is going. Maybe I hit up an open mic night and just see how it goes. Like, how do you, what's your opinion on that stuff where it's just like, why not just go up and see what happens? Like, what, what's your opinion on that? Because I got a um, lot of blind jokes, dude. I got a lot in, no, in the, dude. on the bank. My opinion is to do it. Do it. But here's the things you need to understand, though. And some of my favorite comedians, and myself included, we bombed hard. Oh, God, yeah. I'm already stage. prepared. So, well, I, that's how I knew that this was for me. I was so bad my first time on stage. But it, as soon as I got off stage, I remember being like, I want to do that again. Can I go up again? I fix that. I, I know I could be better. Like, you know, I had that. And then my second time on stage, I did really well, but like people need to prepare themselves. But as far as the idea of like your friends being like, you're the funny guy and stuff like that. I was that guy too. I had people telling me, Oh, you should be a comedian. You're hilarious. We love your stories. We love this, all that stuff throughout high school and into college and everything. And, um, there are two types of comedians. I realize. I don't think I coined this, so don't give me credit, but I remember hearing this once and I, from a friend and it made sense. I don't think he came up with it, but the two types of comedians, there's the comedians who in grade school were in the back of the bus. You know, the kids in the back of the bus were kind of the troublemakers who yeah. didn't give a shit if they got detention. They're loud. They're yelling. They're funny. Right. Then there was people the that sat in, in the of back them. of my school bus are in jail right now. So, well, that too, some of them became little legit criminals, but there were some who maybe came, became comedians. Then there's the funny kids at the front of the bus were more quiet, reserved, but they're like writers. Mitch Hedberg was probably at the front of the bus. You know, Dave sure, Chappelle yeah. was probably the back of the bus. So there's, but there's still a great way to say it. Hysterically funny people, you know? Um, so when I meet people who are like, oh, my friend Sam, the funny guy, and I should do it, but I'm inside joke funny. You could take an inside joke and make it an outside joke. So say you have a joke where it's like, so Owen, you know, uh, a joke, a story about Owen, but you don't know how to tell that to strangers. You say, we all have a friend like this. You know, the guy that does this, that one line tells the audience exactly who you're about to tell a story about. You know, we all have that one friend that, you know, thinks the waitress wants to fuck them. Everyone's like, bam, they got that guy pictured in their head. And then now you could just tell the same story that kills at the bar with your friends. I've, I've done that. So you can take an inside joke turn into an outside joke by just tweaking a couple little things to make it for a broader audience. So if that's like the style that your friends think that you're funny and you're hesitant. Cause you're like, yeah, I can make you assholes laugh. Then make, <laughs> yeah. you know, 50 to hundred strangers or however big the room is laugh on a given night. I mean, it takes time. It takes a long time. Um, like the number of comedians who make it big in their twenties, you could count on one hand. Like they're, so it's comedians primes are weird comedians primes yeah. are like their 40s so many comedians are doing their best work in their 40s and there are comedians you've never heard of until they were 35 36 37 you know it's not like music where i feel like music's the opposite music early oh, totally. 20s it's all early totally. 20s but i feel like time. i feel like one of the reasons it's like that with comedy whereas in music you could sing about just just about any scenario and relate it to whatever time period in life you're in but i feel like with jokes the older you get, the more experience you have, the more real world things you've seen, the more things you could talk about, relate to. And I feel like that just naturally would make you a funnier person, especially if you're already funny. You know, exactly. if you've been doing it for 15, 20 years with all this real world experience of making it, not making it like that, that's only bound to make you hilarious by the time you're about to deal with a midlife crisis. Yep. And telling a joke to a room full of strangers is way harder than singing. If you could sing, you could sing. You know, people, there are seven year olds who could carry a great tune. But you, you really do have to work at the craft of writing a joke and saying the joke out loud and in front of different 
audiences in different circumstances. You might have a loud crowd. You might have a quiet crowd that you need to wake up. And there's just, it's a little bit different. Like music too, you could work on music. And I've never seen a drummer stop drumming going, hey, stop fucking talking over there. You know what I mean? Like, no, they, yeah. they there's chatter. There's, I've, I've seen great bands and everyone's talking and, you know, I mean, but, but in comedy, you got to listen, you got to pay attention. You know, like the hardest thing is when I was starting out, you do these bad bar shows that are free shows in the middle of nowhere. And then some assholes who just got done playing pool in the next room, they wander in, they hear half a joke and they go, Hey, Davey, you're funnier than this fucking guy. Why don't you go up there, Davey? You're hilarious. And it's like, no, Davey's a jerk off. And so are you, you heard half a joke and you're a piece of shit. Go fucking crash your motorcycle. Like, you know what I mean? That's, that's, those are the people I fucking had to deal with. You know, you know shows uh, in like Gardner, uh, Illinois and yeah. like fucking Valparaiso, you know, Indiana. I, I was going to ask you about, about hecklers. It felt like way too generic of a question to ask at the beginning, but since you, you led into it, do you have a, an infamous heckler that you remember? Like a fuck, fuck that guy. Oh God. Um, you know, I'm <laughs> the thing about me. I, I'm, I'm kind of known as a guy who gets into fights. I've, I've had jokes about, about like fist fights I've been in. So Anytime someone gets tough with me, I get this big cocky smile on my face and I'm kind of like, you know, I'm like, dude, I'm good at a couple things, telling jokes and kind of beating the shit out of people. So if you want to make me look like a double badass tonight, go for it. You know what I mean? Try it. You know, I've literally had moments like that where then you could see the look in the person's face or like, Jesus, because I think a lot of people just think comedians are these weak pussies. You know what I mean? They, they think of these yeah. like skinny dudes and stuff. So every now and then they get People could try to bully. And then I'm like, all right, man, let's, let's see where you're at with this one. I had a guy jump on stage once and oh, um, no. he was oh, drunk. God. He grabbed the mic stand and I can't remember how it led up. It was some stupid show out in Crystal Lake, Illinois during a blizzard. And it was, he tried to hit me with the mic stand. I took one step aside, grabbed his shirt and like fucking jazzy Jeffed him off the stage, <laughs> you know, where he like grabbed basically like flung yeah. him. That that little gif of uh, Will Smith getting thrown out the the front door. Exactly, dude. And he like hugged the one speaker on the way down to break his fall. And um, I remember thinking like, oh, show's over. And they kicked out like that one group. And the people who were there were like, no, no. They were already yelling no. I'm like, why are you yelling no? And they're like, because you're going to say the show's over, aren't you? I'm like, I was thinking, yeah, because like. <laughs> This this guy probably has a concussion. Like this is this is a fucked up scenario. How do I continue a show from there? They're like, no, come on, that was great. We loved it. Do do the show. I start to tell my jokes. They're all on their phone, and I go, I know what you guys are doing. You're texting everyone you know, going, you would not believe what we just saw at Duke's because that was the name of the place. And I'm like, they go, yeah, you got us. I'm like, all right, I'll continue the show, but put your fucking phones away. And they go, don't hurt us, don't hurt us. They were funny about it because they (laughs) just saw what happened. Um, they were being, you know, they didn't they didn't think I was actually going to hurt them, but. I knew it. I'm like, why are you guys on your phones? Oh, I know. You're texting everyone you know, going, you would not believe what just happened. So yeah, luckily though, hecklers, they're usually just, you know, assholes. So I think the best move is to get the whole audience against them. You know, it's, and it's so easy because the audience usually hates them. It's so easy to point out, Hey, you notice how everyone else is shutting the fuck up. Maybe you should try that too. You know what I mean? Oh man. No one wants to hear you. You're an asshole. Shut up. And then they'll, they'll get remorseful and you go, Hey man, it's all right. I get it. You're having some fun, but you know, you gotta be respectful. And then they go, all right, but I'm still sorry. fuck you. Or like, if they're really? still an asshole, you right. get them kicked out and then the audience cheers as they're leaving. So it's not too hard to, uh, you know, change course there and get Cause every now and then though, you could get too mean to a heckler. I've had that where I got too mean. And then the audience was like, ah, we were on your side, but fuck man, that was too harsh. That was harsh. <laughs>
Yeah. Oh my That's God. Wild. Listen, we're sitting for anybody listening to this uh, t- tomorrow morning on Wednesday. We're we're sitting at eleven o'clock East Coast time. I've been talking to Joe for about an hour and a half. So first off, if you're listening this far, thank you. Don't forget to like, rate, subscribe, dose of OJ wherever you listen. And this has been this has been great, Joe. I'm I'm not sure if Josh has anything else, but I, I've had an awesome time talking to you. I did not think we were going to be talking to you for an hour and a half, but it's been easy. It's been great. You've been a great guest, my friend. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I went quick. And yeah, it's been a great time talking to both you as well. Yeah. So we'll have uh we'll have Joe's information in the show notes, all the all the links and stuff like that. And uh I don't I don't really have anything else. Like like Owen said, I, man, thanks so much for for coming on. Um I always think it's interesting to talk to people in different professions and, and different creatives. So this was this was definitely one of uh one of our more interesting conversations we've had. Right. And I, I do want to put out there for the people listening. We talked in for the to Joe for this song, and I, I had was totally prepared to talk about the Cubs in some capacity. No, like, fuck oh, yeah. the Cubs. We, 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 we didn't even mention the fact that Joe does locked on Cubs and, and talks about them, which by the way, did they did they beat the Mets? It's definitely no, they lost three the two. I got the notification. Gotcha. We were uh, talking about DeGrom before we got on. I haven't even got the chance to watch the guy this year. So I'm gonna have to watch him tomorrow since uh, we're talking. It was just an omen. Watch the Cubs beat them. Watch. I'm serious. Every now and then the Cubs will beat us. A starter that they should should no business beating. And I looked it up. The last time we faced Degrom was in August of 2019, a season in which he was Cy Young, and we beat him four to one. He gave up four run runs in like six innings, which was unheard of for him that season. So I'm marking it right now. The Cubs are going to beat him tomorrow. Well, today, we're going to the people. We're going <laughs> to yeah. we're going to hold Joe to that. But other than that, I think that's it for, uh, from Owen here. Joe, I don't I doubt you got anything else. Josh, what, is that it for you, my friend? Yeah, I think uh, I think that's it. OK, say bye. Thanks for checking out Dose of OJ. Make sure you're subscribed wherever you're listening and feel free to leave us a review. Also, don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Dose of OJ Pod.